Welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Brown, and today I am joined by Anthony Gabriella, a.k.a. Squid. Squid, how we doing? I'm doing great, my man. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Of course, and we've also got Nick on the side, on the download. He might interject here uh, if he's got any opinions Uh, So we'll see if he hops on at any point. But today we are talking Boston Celtics basketball. Haven't gotten to talk NBA to this point in the podcast, but that will be no more. So let's start by recapping the Celtics season to this point. Currently, they sit with a 12 and 10 record, which is good for fourth place in the Eastern Conference, uh, tied for ninth in the NBA overall. They're 1.8. positive differential is also tied for ninth in the league they are they have lost six of their last 10 however so they're they're struggling they've been struggling ever since they had to go they had their games a couple games postponed due to covid they were they were seven and three to start the season before that those covid postponements uh due to robert williams and jason tatum reportedly testing positive for covid19 Time Lord missed three games. Uh, Tatum missed five. Uh, and they, the team as a whole really hasn't clicked since the COVID postponements. Kemba Walker made his season debut January 17th against the Knicks after missing the first 11 games of the season with a left knee injury. We will get more. I am positive we will get more into detail with Kemba as we go on. Tatum and Brown. They've taken another leap forward. They're averaging career highs in points, assists, and steals. Tatum, he's also averaging a career high in rebounds. So they're looking, they're playing like all-stars, it looks like, at this time. Right now, though, the team is currently without Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown due to injuries. Hopefully, they will get Jalen back tonight against the Jazz, which is the final game of the Celtics' current West Coast trip. They defeated the Golden State Warriors and a Paul George list Los Angeles Clippers, and they dropped games to the Kings and the Suns. So, Squid, what are your thoughts on the Celtics season so far to this point? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I honestly, the Celtics so far, it's kind of what what's been expected. You know, as we came into the season, it was a, a short turnaround from the bubble, and we knew that Kemba was going to be coming back kind of late in the year, missing about a month. Um, with that said, Kemba's obviously been off to a little bit of a slow start here, showing flashes of what he can be, but also, you know, some slow shooting nights, having, having trouble getting going and finishing around the rim. Um, but like, like you said, we're, we're going to get to Kemba later, later, um, overall, you know, I'd say the Celtics are kind of, kind of where they should be. I'm not going to like say, have any outrageous takes about them. Um, you know, letting us down so far. I mean, we're what, 22 games into the year. There's been a bunch of COVID issues. Our, two of our best players have been out for like a long time uh, at the same time as each other. So whether it was, you know, uh, Tatum and Kemba both being out or Smart and now Brown both being out, which I'll we hope, hopefully get them back tonight against Utah, like you said. But I think, you know, the biggest issue I've been, I've seen so far is just the clearly defined roles that Boston fails to continue to have, whether it's with their bench players or their starters. Um, 
I just they're, they're, they're having trouble finding rotations and who's going to contribute on which night from the bench. Cause you know, some nights we get a great semi July and then Brad rolls him out there for 30 minutes next game and he does nothing. So it's like, he's having trouble finding the right guys, but overall I think it's kind of what we expected and we're in a spot to make a good run at some point, but that's kind of, it's, I know it's not much of a hot take right now, but it's kind of what's realistic at this point. Yeah. I mean, even with the, the record not being, I guess, ideal, being pretty close to 500, they're still only four games back of the number one seed in the East, that being the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, so plenty of basketball still to be played. And like you said, not not really a, a re- time. It's not definitely not the time to hit any panic buttons uh, yet. Um, so we're, let's, let's talk some standouts and some disappointments on this team. It can be your player or it can just be any, any thought in general about the team. Uh, for instance, I'll start. Obviously, as I mentioned, Tatum and Brown have taken another leap forward. They're playing absolutely like all-stars in my mind. Tatum should be back to the all-star game. And I think Jalen Brown so far has definitely proved that he is an all-star and should make the all-star team this year. It would be his first uh, career selection to the all-star game. They have been the backbone of the team averaging over 50 points combined a game. And when those two are clicking, it, it takes so much pressure off of the team, the rest of the team, because we've, the, the team has just struggled to get, off consistent offensive production from players not named Tatum and Brown. So if one of those two isn't playing up to their potential, it, it really puts the pressure on the other players to step up. So with Tatum and Brown playing the way they have been, it, if, if they hadn't been, uh, I don't even want to know what the Celtics record would be. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even t- more to your point, if, if one of them is not playing at all, it's a, it's big trouble. So, you know, we obviously need both of them on the floor and, uh, yeah, it looks like Brown's playing tonight, according to Nick. Thanks, Nick. That's going to be great to see them back in action together. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, I'm excited to see uh, what they continue to be. Obviously, like you said, they've they've made a huge jump. Um, I, I had it written down, you know, I think both of these guys are playing like two guys who can be the best players on championship teams. So, you know, if whether it's when it comes to the postseason, if it's Jalen playing like this and Tatum taking the back back secondary role that's fine. Or if it's vice versa, where Jason's playing that role, I think both these guys are playing like they could be the best player on a title team, which is obviously huge. And it kind of goes into like, okay, where are they going to get the proper help from? And you know, who else is standing out? So you want, you want, you want me to go to another guy here? Or do you want to keep talking about the Jays? Please continue. Go talk yeah. about whatever you got on your mind. Yeah. One that stood out to me, I think he had a little bit of a slow start and, you know, he had some big expectations coming into the season, but now he's starting to roll is, one Grant Williams Um, Grant Williams, man, over these last few games here, he has been money from three and he is now, I saw a stat uh, yesterday. He ranks 14th in the entire NBA in three point percentage for players who have shot over 20 shots, which that is just incredible considering he's a, a four, he's a four really bulky and not really built to be a shooter, but he is shooting at a great rate. And if that can stay with consistency, he is going to be a key player for the Celtics for a long time probably the, honestly, the whole Jalen and Jason era that he's in Boston, because he is a great complimentary player, hard defender. He can rebound, can switch really well on defense, but also can knock down threes and stretch the floor out on offense. So, you know, if Grant keeps that up and keeps playing like this, 
he is going to be extremely valuable going forward. And he's been awesome to see so far. It's like a Draymond Green light a little bit, but obviously we need to see him uh, learn to distribute a little bit more. Mm -hmm. He's been one of the lone bright spots on a bench that's been otherwise underwhelming on the season. Uh, One of the other lone bright spots on the bench would be one Peyton Pritchard. He's played very well in his time. He did pick up a knee injury that cost him a handful of games in the earlier in the season. But when he's been on the floor, he has been able to produce solid numbers across the board. I think coming into tonight, he's averaging eight, three and three. But when you look at his minutes, he's only averaging 20, 21 minutes a game. So if he were to, I don't know, get some run as a starter, I mean, that's, that's all around production. So, and he's very scrappy on the defensive end. He's, he's one of those guys that kind of is a spark plug off the bench, so to speak. He's not going to, he's not going to shoot the lights out of the gym, but he's capable of it from time to time. And with the way that some of the other recent first round draft picks have played um, to see Peyton Pritchard look like we Danny might've hit on that one. That's, that's, that's definitely a sigh of relief in my mind. Oh, absolutely. And I think touching on his minutes, like if, man, if he was playing 36 minutes a game as per 36 is honestly probably would be 16 to 20 points a game, which is just incredible. And, you know, like we, like you said, we didn't really all expect this out of Peyton Pritchard. Uh, for those who follow college basketball, I mean, you know, Pritchard could hoop, but how would it translate with his size and, you know, his athleticism, but man, he gets under you on defense. And I think the favorite thing I like about Pritchard is he pushes the ball down the floor every single time he gets it, which was a big issue for the Celtics in the past few years where, you know, they really, they're really finessed and they like to slow it down and try to go ISO on you. But when you have a guy like Pritchard on the floor, he gets the team out and running, which Ainge touched upon in the off season. And I think it's been incredible just to see what he's done on the floor. And it's no coincidence that when Pritchard went down, the Celtics started slumping big time. Like right when Pritchard got hurt, the Celtics, you know, they had no bench production. Pritchard's a guy who either made a big pass or a big shot. He never lets his dribble up. And he, you know, he bailed the Celtics out many times, including that game where he hit the game winner against Miami. He had a few shots there where you're like, okay, they're going to fall apart and lose the lead here. And then he would just knock down a ridiculous three from like 30 feet. And, that's that's Peyton Pritchard. That's real. He did that in college and it's translating to the NBA. So if you're a Celtics fan, I think it's real and it's it's exciting to see. And we got a bright future with this kid. I totally agree. One other, I'll call it standout. Standout might be a stretch here, but the big men, Tice, Tristan Thompson, Time Lord, Robert Williams, that trio has actually been pretty solid holding down the fort down low. Coming into the season, I I still had a lot of doubts about the, the front court in terms of our big men. Can they guard, protect the rim? Can they produce on the offensive end, provide any sort of, of additional offensive production to the Jays and Kemba and whatnot? And this year, they're actually, in my mind, playing fairly well. Like Tyson Thompson have been in the starting lineup together, fairly consistency with all, uh, with all the injuries to our, some of the, our other players and COVID uh, precautions, p- players being held out due to that. Um, and even Time Lord, he's not getting a ton of run. He's getting about 15 minutes a game, but he's putting up six, six and, and a steal and a block in those 15 minutes. And he's averaging like 70% from the field. So yeah, he's, he's basically our, uh, version of Clint Capella. So that's another guy where you look at, wow, 
I wonder what his 30 per 36 would be like. They'd be double, double two blocks, two steals a game for sure. The question is, could he actually do that with those kind of minutes? And that's where the doubts sort of start to creep in about that. But for the most part, in my eyes, the front court of Tice Thompson and time Lord, they really haven't been the issue so far. They've had their moments when they've been exposed, they've been outplayed. But when you're talking about guys like that, it, they're not superstars. They're gonna get. They're gonna be in mismatches where they are the mismatch, and from time to time. But for the most part, I've liked what they, I've seen from those three, especially Tristan Thompson. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I've actually on Twitter. You know, Celtics Twitter likes to complain about the big men because we don't have Kevin Garnett anymore. We don't have, you know, we don't have a guy like Joel Embiid. And to be honest with you, I'm happy we're not paying a guy. $30 million. He's a big man, which is, I mean, I don't know why everyone wants that, but like we're getting productivity out of guys who are on contracts that are under $10 million at the big man position. Like, for example, you know, we're not going to have our big men going off every single night in the middle of the season, just absolutely destroying their bodies early in the season against the Detroit Pistons. Like they're going to have nights where they just really don't care that much to be completely honest with you. But then you look at a game like last week with the Clippers and you see Tristan Thompson just coming up absolutely massive in that game. That is just something you need to expect going forward in the playoffs. Like Tristan Thompson's a proven guy. He, I mean, he, he was in that series of golden state a couple of years ago when uh, he was switching on to Steph Curry and defending him really well. And that's something that Tristan Thompson's going to do when it gets to those big moments, you know, he, he moves, you know, he, he moves the needle in those big moments and he steps up in those big moments when maybe necessarily Daniel Tice or Robert Williams didn't last year. And it's something Thompson's going to do for us later down later in the season when we really need him to be great. So, I mean, I I've been very impressed with what I've seen so far. I know that's not a common take in the Celtics uh, world right now, but I do really love what I've seen from the big men so far. And I agree. And, and for those reasons that you said, I really don't think they should be thinking if they do think about making a trade, which Danny, they have the trade exception, the 28 and a half million trade exception, the biggest ever, that they've got to use either by the trade deadline or early in the off season. Um, I honestly wouldn't use it on a big man anymore. Like I honestly might use it on another wing player or, or, or another impact player, even if it's like a, a two or a three. Um, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, oh yeah. And like, even like, I, and I have, I have a little hot take later in the show about, uh, about one of the Celtics big men and what they should do with them. But I, I agree. Unless, unless you're getting an absolute elite big man, like Carl Anthony town or something, I'm really not very interested in, in, in like moving someone for that position. Cause I think Thompson is enough. Mm -hmm. Now with standouts come disappointments and I don't want to jump the gun here, but it's only Kemba's only played nine games this season but he looks like a shell of himself. His, his feet, his footwork, he just looks like he lost a step and then some. He is being, we knew he's not a great defender because he's undersized and that he is what he is on the offensive end. That is how you get, that is what Kemba is getting paid $34 million to do. That is produce on on offensive end but what it's just he right so far through nine games he does not look like anything like himself he is averaging 36 percent from the field 31 percent from three and consistently getting blown by on defense i don't know what your thoughts are on him r squid but for me i don't like what i see 
And if this continues, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you make good points about uh, Kevin's defense is obviously a massive issue and it's tough that we have to pay a guy $34 million uh, a year to be what he is right now. And especially on the defensive end, I mean, it's, it's not what we need. That with that said, uh, I still do want to give him benefit of the doubt that he's going to figure it out because, you know, I've been watching him extremely closely and just watching some plays of what I've kind of seen out of him. And something I've noticed in the offensive end uh, in the past few years, Kemba would drive to the lane. And when he gets to the lane, he was exceptional at making contact with the big men and just getting to the line whenever he wanted to. And that had a lot to do with when he was jumping off that one foot to go up. And like he was going up perfectly timed with when the big man like would jump into him and he's not doing that right now. He's not getting, he's not timing anything right. And I'm curious to see if that timing is going to come back with once he figures out when to jump and like, can he jump quick off that one foot versus like, is he just running straight into the big man? And that's, you know, I think Kemba getting to the free throw line early in games has a lot to do with why he shot so well from three in the NBA. Cause he was never always a great three point shooter, but when he got to the line early in games, that kind of got his stroke going and it trans- translated into him hitting threes. So, you know, we need to see Kemba at the line more early in games, and I think that's going to lead to success in the offensive end. Um, defensively, he might kind of uh, be is he might be what he is at this point, and that's sad, but uh, I do still, still think Kemba has room to figure it out. But all I do want to see from Kemba is him just taking a backseat at the end of games to making sure that either Jason or Jalen has the ball in their hands at all times. I do not want to see Kemba have the ball in his hands at the end of games. No, it, it, shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be anyone besides Jason and, or Jalen. No, not Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart needs to get it into his head <laughs> that he is not the closer on this team. You, you can't shoot the way the percentages that he shoots, which is just like Kemba right now, 39% from the field, 31% from three. You can't be the closer when you have two all-stars that are shooting out of their minds right now. Listen, so- man, you, I, I'm completely with you and like, he's the next guy I wanted to talk about before that I got, I do got to throw in, you know, if, if, if Pritchard ends up with the ball at the end of the game, you might not hear much out of me. Cause I would not be too mad about it. You know, the guy's got a little ice in his veins, despite, despite, you know, obviously one of the Jays to have the ball. If Pritchard somehow finds the ball in his hands, I'm not going to complain. I know it's a little bit of a joke, but the guys, the guy's got ice, man. It's clear. He has ice in his veins. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Go ahead. It's about- early. It's early and I'm reaching, but you know, I'm telling you the kids got like, he, I've just, I've seen it from time and time again, whether it's in college or now in the NBA. So I don't hate it. I don't hate it, but yeah, no, I, I do want to go into Marcus smart as a disappointment. Um, I know it's early in the year uh, as one of the uh, leaders of the Marcus smart fan club from the day he was drafted. Uh, I've never been a Marcus smart, smart offensive fan. Uh, and obviously this year has probably been the most frustrating it's ever been because you know, he started the year saying, I got to be better with my shot selection. I got to like take shots that are open and not four shots up. And what has he done this year? Taking some just terrible, terrible shots. And not only does he do that, but he turns the ball over at such a high rate at the end of basketball games. And it makes the team flutter and it makes the Jays freak out. And it just, it never ends up well when Marcus Smart has the ball at the end of games. And it's kind of what I was talking about when saying the Celtics need to have clearly defined roles. Brad needs to give these guys clearly defined roles in the sense of, Marcus, at the end of games, you do not touch the ball. You do not shoot the ball. I don't care if you're wide open with no one in front of you. You do not shoot that basketball. It goes to one of the Jays. I mean, it's just, it's infuriating to me, and I'm sick of these late-game turnovers. And, like, I might be that guy that tweets after the game, hey, trade trade Marcus Smart. I don't actually mean it, but I, I really, really, really want to see an offensive revolution with him and just get the ball out of his hands, maybe anywhere in the fourth quarter. And the thing that blows my mind 
is that he's leading the team in assists. He's averaging over six assists a game. Now I know Kemba's been out, and so he's such a good passer. Like, so, he is. So why does he have to? Shouldn't he know? Shouldn't he know that? The ball shouldn't be in his hands that he should be creating for someone else. You would think that he would know that. And, and when he does create for someone else, he dribbles into double teams. Like, like it's like when he's when he has to think about making a play, he messes up. But when it's all instincts and he needs to make a winning play, it works great. It's like, man, just put him like off ball and make him make those ridiculous plays. But I don't want him creating at the end of games. It's not it's, the right move. It, it's so frustrating. You, you get stretches from him where he's locked in, dr- draining shots consistently. There was one game in the playoff series against Philly Toronto, last year. Right? Oh, Philly, yeah. Philly, where my bad. He, he hit like five threes in a row in the third quarter and single-handedly put the game more or less out of reach. I, he I went supernova. He, he went supernova game two. He went against yes. – uh, he was like he hit five threes in a row and yes. flipped the whole game. It was like looked like Clay Thompson, 37-point quarter out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get this Marcus Smart, and you're like, dude, what are you – like the Marcus Smart we saw in the Miami yeah. series was not the Marcus Smart in the Philadelphia series. Exactly. And it's just so frustrating to see the inconsistencies from him on the offensive end, given how great he is of a, of a leader, of a teammate, of – of a defender he's all def- all nba first team defender we know that he's he's got those accolades but to see him not understand where he where he is on the on on the totem pole for shots taking shots on this team especially late in games is is very very frustrating to say and the like- least I think the hardest part about it is you look at like, I, I, me personally, sometimes I lose sleep at night after games, after a bad loss and thinking, is this team ever going to actually be able to win a title when Marcus Smart has the ball at the end of games? Because like Brad Stevens, as great of a coach he is, he needs to tell Marcus what his role is. And like, he needs to be brutally honest with him and they need to stop giving him this confidence that he can take the shots at the end of games. Cause I, I mean, I don't know if they can ever get to the level they want to with Marcus on offense. Yeah. So Hopefully that gets sorted out between now and the playoffs, but we'll see. One last thing I do want to talk about for disappointments, and I kind of mentioned it already, is the bench. There have been a few bright spots on the bench, but overall the bench just has not cut it whatsoever this year. They rank 23rd in points per game, despite being seventh in minutes per game. That means – our bench is getting more minutes than most of the league and they are outputting less than the majority of the league. And that go ahead. Uh, I implore you two to please discuss Aaron Nesmith uh, immediately regarding this bench that I think it was a good segue. Uh, Please discuss Aaron Nesmith. I am very curious on your thoughts. Oh yeah, he was he was my uh, he was a guy I wanted to mention as Brownie started to go into this this bench talk here. Um, my biggest thing with Naismith is like uh, however you want to say his name. Um, the biggest issue is the guy hasn't played basketball in a year and a half. I mean, he the last time he played in college was like I'm pretty sure like December of or or November of last year because he got hurt towards the end of the season, I mean, the beginning of the season, and then he uh, obviously the pandemic happened, and then you know not getting drafted until way late in the year and then playing basketball really until this last month there, he has not found a rhythm. 
But with that, he's not going to find a rhythm unless you let him play basketball. Like, I don't want to see Semi Ojale or Javante Green on the floor. I don't care if we're not winning these games right now. We'll make the playoffs and we'll be fine if we're the four seed. Get Aaron Naismith some minutes so we can figure it out. Because, I mean, what I've seen from him is he has a really pure shot, but he's never going to have confidence if you don't let him play and yank him every time he makes a defensive error. I 100% agree. You're never going to find out what you have with the kid unless you give him some consistent run and the amount of DNP coaches decisions that he has had this year is very much worrisome. That means one of two things, either he's not a first round talent and had no business being taken in the first round. And the Celtics learned that very quickly and have now just eliminated him from the rotation, essentially basically only giving him minutes, a few minutes here, or a few minutes there, or, Oh, we we're down to nine players. So I guess we'll give him 10 to 15 minutes or go ahead. No, so I want, I want to hear your second. Cause I, I refuse to believe the first one's true at this current time. Or, or it's like you said, he's just, he's just hasn't been able to get his rhythm and the, they don't, want they haven't gotten to the point where basically what, what i'm trying to say here is i'm sounding very flustered at the moment is you can't he's not going to be able to find himself playing a couple minutes there 10 minutes in this game five minutes that game and you're never going to find it out unless you give him the consistent run and, so i i just i don't i don't get it and that's and you know it's hard because there's two things that I heard in the off season that really stuck with me. And I brought with me to this point of the season is Danny Ainge went on a uh, toucher and rich and was basically talking about how they're not using the trade exception right now, which was like a couple months ago at this point, because they want to see what they have in their young guys and what the bench can do. And it's like, okay, well, if you're going to say that you need to make your coach use the young guys and like, mm-hmm. At times, we've seen him use Carson Edwards when he actually uses him and lets a shooter, like a shooter needs to get a rhythm. When Look at that Clippers game. Carson Edwards helped us. We don't win that game without Carson Edwards. And it's like they did the same thing with him last year. Okay, if you're not going to use that trading system right now, then use your young guys and let them see what like see what they can be because they're not going to be anything if you don't let them play. And Aaron Naismith, I, I tr- personally believe he's a guy that needs to play basketball. And he, whether he makes defensive errors or not, you need to let him play because – man, that shot is so pure. And if, if you let that shot go, he is going to potentially stretch the floor out, make it easier on the Jays. And you know what? Just live with the defensive errors because maybe he'll figure them out by the time the playoffs roll around if he can actually be in the rotation. Or he'll be a valuable trade chip if he can make some threes. Yeah. And I, I just I, – I, they've got to figure out the rotations. Like you, you've mentioned multiple times. The rotations – and we'll get that to that in, in just a bit. But the rotations have – been very confusing to say the least. And I know that that's a product of the Celtics unable to stay healthy, whether it be COVID or actual injuries, but some of these rotations just do not, some of these lineups, they they just don't make any sense. And the fact that they're giving run to guys, like you said, Javante green and, and Tremont waters and semi semi guys, you know, exactly what they are what they're capable of and it's not nothing short of impressive you know it it, it, it's just give give the guy a chance give the guy a chance i'm not saying he's a bust but you won't know for sure if he's a good if he's an nba caliber player or not if he is somebody that can contribute to an nba roster a championship team unless you give him a chance 
it happened with it happened with Romeo Langford last year. Like we never saw the guy. Then he came in and he makes ridiculous defensive stops and he's shooting well. And it's like, why doesn't this guy play? And it's like, I know Brad Stevens this offseason said Romeo Langford's going to be an NBA player for a long time. And it's like, okay, well, let him play basketball. And I know he's hurt right now and he's going to come back and hopefully he can help because I think he's a good defender and he can create some offense. But like, where, let the guy play. Where are his minutes going to come from? Who, who, I, whose minutes well, are you going to take away for him? You well, know? you're going to take a semi and Javante's and you can't do that. And I mean, man, he, <laughs> my like Brad Stevens knows what he's doing. He is turning on an oven. I'm sorry. He's turning on a stove that has four pans of hot water of uh, four, four pots of hot water on it. And he is boiling that water up. And that water is my blood and every other Celtics fans blood because our blood gets boiling. When I see Semi Ojale out there taking the most ridiculous threes, like step back sidestep threes, like he's Jason Tatum. I'm like, why is this guy on the floor? And it's like, I'll never understand it, man. Like I get it. He's there to, for his defensive abilities. He, he can be a lockdown defender. Whenever we play the, the, the Lakers or the Bucks, he's he's the one that's called upon to come off the bench and guard a LeBron, guard a Giannis, and try and contain, slow them down. So I, I get why he's on the team, but I don't think he gets why he's on the team because and, right. And he's I, honestly, I I saw something. Semi Ojale has 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 like five steals or something like that in his whole NBA career. It's like. How can we, I get you're like a good, like defender, like disciplined defender, but how are we going to call you a good defender if you don't make anything happen on the defensive end? Like that's how your minutes are being earned. So actually go make an attempt at a steal or go make an attempt at a block. He just, he's not, it's not, he's not it, man. And I, eventually you got to kick the tires and let these young guys play. Yeah. So I I definitely agree. They've got to, they've got to figure out who they are as a team and, and how they're going to, and they've got to figure out what lineups work and they've got to just stick to it find a lineup whether it's a first unit and a second unit and and just stick to it i'm not saying you got to do mass rotations five in five out but you've got to find the 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 kinks in this and the rotation which players work well together with each other and which ones don't and you've got to just stop like you cannot put in a, a lineup of kemba pritchard and teague oh that I'm is asinine yeah, it's not it's not allowed. It, oh, Jeff, we can't even Jeff T. I, I was I was I liked the move in the offseason. And uh, man, man, I do ever ever saying that he is so bad at basketball. <laughs> and I he, don't looks, wanna... he looks so good the first like week or two. It was like, oh, man, this is why we got Jeff T. He's still got something left in the tank. Psych. That first Milwaukee game, he looked like a potential six six man of the year candidate. And now I'm like, every time I watch him, I'm like, dude, how are you still in the NBA? And like, why? Why are you still in the NBA? He's you, av- you know, Jeff Teague is averaging twenty eight percent on two point attempts. He's a guard. How is he doing that? Do, do you know how bad that is? That like that is just pitiful. The only person worse on the team than him at two point percentage. It's Tremont Waters at 22%. And he's a guard. How how can you be so bad? At two points. I keep telling myself, I truly believe there's a day that the Celtics are just going to package all these guys that just frustrate us to know beyond together and get some awesome role players. And it's going to be like, it's going to be the biggest breath of fresh air. And it's like the trolling is over from Brad Stevens. Like, uh, I, I swear he's trolling us. I, I sure hope he isn't. Trades, right? Um... Who do you guys think, like, what kind of player 
should they trade for? I think you might have mentioned that you didn't want them to trade for big men. But uh, personally, and I've talked about this on my pod, I like George Hill. I feel like George Hill would fit nicely. I know he's another guard, but I, I kind of like the idea of Smart taking over, like, front point guard duties and then Kemba kind of being more of a shooter. He can just, like, figure out his shot. I know, like, size-wise it causes problems, but Tremont Waters is not an NBA point guard. He's not an NBA player. And I almost thought that Carson Edwards wasn't that either. But there might be a little light at the end of the tunnel for him. But Tremont Waters is awful, and he should probably be, I don't know, cut, get him off the team. I, I think he's awful. Now, would you use part of the trade exception to go get a George Hill? Obviously, you'd probably have to throw in a draft pick or right. somebody. But uh, I would. But so the trade exception is funny because I honestly have zero confidence that Danny Ainge is ever going to use the trade exception at all. Man, he gave us two second round picks. For, like he better use a trade exception. Uh, I swear. And I, I and we can t- so we can talk about the trade exception now. Okay. So squid. Who should Danny Ainge use that trade exception to acquire? And remember, you can break the trade exception up. It is a coupon in, it also, in, in its a sense, but you can use it to acquire multiple players in different trades. You have up to $28.5 million to use. And, and I before I tell you the guys I want on the trade exception, I just need to clarify with the people listening um, what the trade exception actually means because everyone seems to think that we can just – keep this trade obviously it works for it works for a year from the day we got it everyone seems to think we can wait until like halfway through the offseason until free agency and just use the whole thing no jason tatum's contract kicks in over the offseason his contract extension and we're going to be up against a hard cap if we try using the full thing in the offseason which means we have we literally have to use something this during this the year this year exactly we literally have to so with that being said um there's a couple different targets i have in mind i know i don't want a big man uh, but there is one I had in mind. But first, I'm going to talk about the wing that I really, really want. Um, I'm the, one of the leaders of this trend, I, I personally believe, uh, and that is Harrison Barnes. I know Sacramento is starting to get it together a little bit out in uh, out there, but Harrison Barnes is a player who is uh, shooting like 42% from three, I believe. He's 6'8". He's won a championship, so he has a championship experience. And, man, he's a great role player. He knows what his role is. He's no, He knows he's not a star. He's not going to take outlandish shots at the end of games, but he's someone who can really carry a bench unit when they're when he's on the bench. And he's great at moving the basketball, being in the right spot. Uh, he makes about $22 million right now, but it's a descending contract. So next year, it'll be $20 million. The following year, it'll be $18 million, which that means contract flexibility for the next three years. And uh, if they need to make a trade in the next couple of years to get a star that's sitting there, maybe whether it's Bradley Beal or someone else, uh, they have his big contract sitting there and he's also a valuable piece at the current time. So Harrison Barnes is really a guy I want right now. Uh, I'll let you go with your guy next. You know, (laughs) you took my guy. The player that I thought that they should get is Harrison Barnes. So here's, I'll, I'll try and deviate from that. So before the season, I would have said John Collins due to the lack of impactful bigs on our roster. But with the bigs playing just fine at the moment and being more than adequate, the Celtics definitely should be looking to add an impact win player like a Harrison Barnes or multiple bench pieces. Those are the only two routes that I really see them taking with the trade exception. So if it's an impact wing player or multiple bench pieces, as bad as the bench has been this far, I would rather get another impact player. This is the NBA. It's a star-driven league. You need the most talent and the top-tier talent that you can get on your team 
all at once. So go ahead. Oh, absolutely. And people need to understand, like, yes, it's great to have bench pieces in the regular season, but like when it comes down to it, to it, like in the playoffs, we're going to have like an eight or nine man rotation tops. And, you know, with that, it's like, you know, you got Jason, Jalen, Kemba, Marcus, Tice, uh, Thompson, Grant Williams. That's already, that's already seven guys. So it's like you have, if, if, we, if you trade for a guy like Harrison Barnes, he's probably inserted in the starting lineup. Smart might be coming off the bench. And it's like, you have two guards already in Smart and Kemba. So it's like, you don't really need a guard if you don't really have to have one. Obviously it would be great for bench depth, but like at that point, you just, Grab Harrison Barnes, fill your eight-man rotation out, and if you need a spark plug to come in during the postseason, Payton Pritchard's sitting there ready. It's like, I don't know. Personally, I think he's the right way to go because he's a plus defender also. He's 6'8". He can rebound. He, he checks every box you need, and the biggest issue with Gordon Hayward in Boston was when he didn't touch the ball, he kind of got disengaged, and he was like, he was a great player, I thought, in Boston at times, and obviously he was injured most of the other times, but like, what he's doing in Charlotte now is because He's the focal point of an offense, and Gordon Hayward's not Gordon Hayward if he's not a focal point. Harrison Barnes will still be Harrison Barnes if he's not the focal point. He know how he he know how, knows how to play his role, and that's why I want him so much. Yeah, he's kind of a renaissance man in the in the sense that he's in the midst of a career year after kind of fading into the background after leaving Golden State, kind of journeying around, kind of becoming I don't want to say a total afterthought, but kind of just once he left Golden State, the shine kind of wore off and. And you kind of saw what he was really made of. But this year, he's proven the haters wrong. And to be able to get a guy that's playing the best, arguably the best basketball of his NBA career, a guy that has played in multiple finals with the Golden State Warriors, like you said, that's that's priceless. And Absolutely. so if, you, if it takes at throwing in a first round pick or even two, it's the later ones, of course, that's that seems like a no-brainer to me. A lineup of Kemba, Jalen, Jason, Barnes, and your pick at center. That's a that's a very capable starting five, and one that would definitely push the Celtics to the limit in terms of pushing them over the top, get perhaps even getting them over the hump and back to the NBA finals. But it's whether or not Ainge can pull pull the freaking trigger with this trade exception. Cause I, I have, I am worried that like we kind of mentioned, he might just sit on it for too long. Yeah. I, and with that said, like, I, I, I do think, I know Danny's one of those guys who you're like, he either makes a deal and you're like, what was that? Or he shocks everyone and makes just like, like this amazing trade. It's, it's, it, I feel like there's no in between with Danny. Um, but at the same time, uh, I have a little a little bit of confidence with them this year, just simply with the pressure of uh, the Jays starting their extensions and like you you have a four year four year window here where they're they're still on the team and you need to impress them right now so they'll stay on this team long term. So it's like they have to make a move eventually. And I'm just I'm in the camp of no more young guys. You've you've made your draft picks, you've picked your guys. No more keeping these draft picks and you know trying to find these young guys. Like we have enough young guys. You need to make it. You need to trade some of these young guys. Trade some of these future picks that you have. I know they're our own picks, but trade them and get these players that you need. Uh, yeah. I do have a few more names that you want me to throw them out there. Yeah, we can get to it uh, in just a second. But yeah, just to kind of fit, wrap up that point, like this is not two K association mode. You are not a GM like Sam Presti trying to hoard draft picks on a rebuild you are trying to win now so these draft picks that you are holding on to and you're drafting in the late lottery or outside of the lottery and you're 50 50 hitting at best on these 
take them, give them to other teams and get a guy that you know is going to make a difference on your team. I don't understand why Danny is, has been so protective of these draft picks over the, the last couple of years because he's not hitting on them very well. Some of them he's hit like on Pritchard and, and Grant Williams, but others were it's whether it's been injuries or just not the lack of opportunity guys like Neesmith and Romeo Langford are looking like busts. No, it, it, you hate to say it, but that's, they're just, not, they haven't been given opportunities. And so it seems like a waste of a pick. And not to mention they traded, they traded down to still get Grant Williams just, to give Philadelphia thigh ball and grab Carson Edwards, literally the trade down two picks gave us Carson and Grant when they were going to draft Grant anyways. So it's like, we could have had uh Grant Williams and uh, Matisse thigh ball. Instead we had Grant Williams and uh, Carson Edwards. So exactly. yeah, Danny has not necessarily been, uh, been there as far as using these picks and uh, deploying them correct, the correct way. But I will give him a uh, benefit of the doubt when it comes to a, car, uh, a guy like Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams. So mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, shoot, shoot some names. I've got some in front of me as well. So the next name I want to look at, and I, I, I need people to understand, this is only realistic in one scenario. I, I know it's a little bit outlandish, but Nikola uh, Vucevic is one of those guys that he's a, he's a really good offensive player, not necessarily the best defender. And I know we talked about uh, not really needing a big man, but what we have, and I'm not really in the camp of wanting a big man. But with that said, Daniel Tice is a free agent this offseason, and we know what's happened in the last three seasons with free agents leaving the Celtics. Uh, who we thought we were going to resign. Well, I don't really necessarily think the Celtics can afford to pay Daniel Tice the 10 million that he wants. And it might not be the worst opportunity to just move on from him at the trade deadline and say, okay, we need more minutes for time Lord. Or, you know, if you want to trade whatever a young guy and Daniel Tice uh, clear up, clear up the hard caps so the Celtics are, are able to use the full 20, $27.5 million uh, exception. Cause they can't do that right now. Cause they're against the hard cap. Uh, if they were want, wanting to do that, they could move on from Daniel Tyson, try to find a guy like Vucevic who's going to stretch the floor on offense and really just create a great dynamic in offense, but also be able to guard guard people in the post like a Joel Embiid. So that is one option if they did want to go that route, because I know Danny went on Toucher and Rich and said he wants uh, size with shooting. Hmm. I'm actually uh, looking at one of Vucevic's teammates, and that would be one Aaron Gordon. Uh, right now, he's out with an ankle sprain. He's going to miss a month, month and a half. Obviously, that introduces an inherent risk of re-injury uh, after, once he, he comes back. But he was having a career year as a shooter. He's Everyone knows Aaron Gordon is a perennial dunker. That's what he's known as. But this year, he actually was really improved in his three-point shooting, shooting nearly 40% from three and averaging – about 14 and seven, uh, 14 points, seven rebounds a game on the season. Nothing, nothing that'll blow your socks off or anything like that. But on a team where we could use another athletic wing that is capable of playing on both ends, a guy like Aaron Gordon might not be a bad, a bad, if, you, if you're not getting a Harrison Barnes, I wouldn't hate them taking a look at Aaron Gordon, seeing what the, what the price is and potentially using that because Aaron Gordon is a guy that um, uh, I don't have his contract in front of me. I wish I did. It's 18 million, I believe. Yeah. He's, but I believe it's only for one year. So if it it doesn't work out, um, then you're able to move on. And uh, I believe you would have the right bird rights to him because he's correct. Orlando. So you would be able to still resign him. Um, But 
so that's that's a, that's a guy that I would look for if if you're if you're unable to get a Harrison Barnes because you deem the price for Barnes is is simply too high. I think the next best bet for an impact player uh, that fits the the bill and checks off the boxes per se, like you said, would be Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I'm with you on Gordon. He was another guy on my list, and you know, fortunately, there's not many teams have the ability to fit an Aaron Gordon or a Harrison Barnes into their. Uh, like any other contenders have the ability to fit them into their team salary, even if they tr- change the pieces out just because of current structures and contracts. So Celtics might not have many bidders with them. It's really just if those teams are willing to move on from those guys. And I, I do necessarily think, think Sacramento might be because Harrison Barnes does not fit their, their timeline out in Sacramento because they really don't, they're trying to develop a young core through the draft still, and yeah. they're just not ready yet. So Harrison Barnes might be available. Same with Aaron Gordon, like you mentioned, uh, maybe a teammate there as well. Uh, Terrence Ross, and a few other names before I wrap up, wrap up my uh, picks here. Uh, I think one player uh, I, I, I want us everyone to keep an eye out for um, on the Memphis Grizzlies. He actually hasn't played at all yet is Justice Winslow. We know Danny Ainge has loved him in the past. He's another wing defender, and he might be able to get at an affordable price. And Thaddeus Young from the Chicago Bulls. Uh, that is all I have. I, I like the Thad Young one. Uh, that's a guy that can play all pretty much – three through five on offense and he can guard pretty close to one through five, maybe two through five is, is a, is a more realistic there, but he's a guy that can play is serviceable on offense. He's not, he's not an efficient shooter. So that wouldn't exactly, he wouldn't be the shooter that Danny is looking for, but he does just about everything else. He rebounds, he can score. He's averaging about 11 points a game, uh, six rebounds a game. He's a very, very quality defender. Uh, obviously, the Bulls have no need for a guy of his age, a veteran presence like him in, in their rebuild. So that's definitely should be an affordable sort of get to improve the bench. Uh, if we're talking bench, we could look for other options like P.J. Tucker out in Houston would be, an, I think, a valuable piece to add to the bench to bolster that. We talked about George Hill and how he could be a, a sort of a spark for scoring and shooting off the bench. Um, maybe even a Torian Prince. I know he already got traded once. He was a part of the James Harden deal. He got sent to Cleveland. But Cleveland doesn't really – isn't in the position – they're not win now. So unless they're one of their prize prospects, kind of Cleveland's probably willing to trade him. So Torian Prince doesn't have any, any – great numbers or anything like that but that would be another solid sort of role piece to throw onto the bench i think that thad young is probably the best option and probably the most realistic option i agree help your team the most these other options i don't think sacramento will deal will deal barnes uh that would be a fantastic trade i don't think sacramento deals him and i don't think the magic deal gordon or vucevic either I think those deals are a lot harder to make work just because of money. But uh, I think Thad Young is definitely a guy you could trade for. Um, I, I would love them to see uh, see through possibly trading for George Hill. I, I'm a little less uh, inclined, even though it is Oklahoma City. All you got to do is really throw them a draft pick and they'll trade you anybody. Um, but I think Thad Young is definitely probably the option for them that they could definitely uh, have good success with. Yeah, and honestly, I, I, I agree. And I, I would like to see Danny get aggressive and, you know, whether it's him or, like we said, one of, like, Barnes or Gordon, whatever it may be. Um, 
Like he, the Celtics need to absolutely use his trade exception because it's going to give them financial flexibility while Kemba Walker is still on the team. Because if they don't use his trade exception this year, the next two years, the Celtics literally have no money to sign anyone if that trade exception goes away mm-hmm. or trade for anyone. They literally have no money because the Jays' contracts are huge and Kemba's contract is huge. So they literally have nothing to do if they if they were to uh, let this trade exception go. So they literally have to do something, even if that's taking in a bad salary and just holding that person on the books, whether maybe like Davis Bertans, who makes 20 million a year and the Wizards know they're pretty much done for and just collect draft picks at this point. So like whatever that may be, just get a contract out at the bare minimum. So we have financial flexibility for the next three years. Mm-hmm. Now you bring up Kemba's contract. It's, and I already brought it up. It's like 35 million this year. And he's on the books for another two after this year. And it only it's gets going up, right? It, yes. It only gets higher. He's going to be pushing 38 mil by the end of it, which is just the way he looks right now. It, that's a scary thought. Um, obviously you don't want to hit the panic button as we've said, but if Kemba continues his poor play into March, should Ainge consider trading Kemba? I mean, it's hard because, you know, if they did let Kemba go, obviously it frees up a lot of like space. You know, it could be one of those trades where you give them, give them away to like a team and get not much back, but that does give you, like I said, a bunch of uh, cap space to sign a free agent. Although there's not really any free agents uh, there and you might not get much value back from him. I feel like you still got to just roll the dice with them and hope he figures it out. And even if he doesn't, you know, got two years on the contract after this and the same year that he, he is a uh, free agent after this contract, the uh, Bradley player by the name of Bradley Bale uh, is also a free agent. So, you know, that money could go there if that's worst case scenario, but mm-hmm. honestly, if, if he is still in just, just does not look like a, he just looks like a complete shell of himself and you're approaching the trade deadline. I think I would at least inquire and ask around to teams. Hey, would you be interested in Kemba? What would, what would you be willing to give up for him? And, and what do you think's out there? So I, realistically, I don't think there's going to be much of a, a market for him. I think the Celtics, I think Ainge would have to have to really scheme something up. A dream trade. And I don't, I'm not exactly sure if the money entirely works here, but if I could do this, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would trade Kemba with a first round pick for DeJounte Murray of the San Antonio Spurs and Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay would give you a wing guy off the bench if Neesmith doesn't pan out, and Murray would give you a young, up-and-coming, rising player to take the mantle at point guard. He has been a revelation for the Spurs. He's basically taken over the, taken the, the reins from Tony Parker, and he has run with it. And He's making about $14 million this year. Rudy Gay is in the same uh, ballpark range. If you could offload Kemba, even if it took multiple firsts, and get a guy like DeJounte Murray, I'm not saying he fits the system, but that's a guy where you know he's not on the, the – he's not going leaving his prime. He's entering his prime, and that fits – the Jays timeline better in my I can mind. confirm uh, that trade is successful. Rudy Gay and DeJounte Murray for Kemba is successful according to the NBA trade machine. Well, I certainly love to hear that. 
and that's and that's a good trade if, if you're gonna get you know if you can throw some picks in there and if Dejounte I mean Smart and Dejounte Murray starting in the backcourt might be the most devastating defensive backcourt in NBA history. I mean yeah. that would be absurd. Um, not quite sure unless San Antonio was really enticed by those picks. I'm not quite sure why they would do it considering you know Kemba DeRozan Aldridge ain't really getting them far. Maybe if they're interested in just giving Popovich one last chance with a couple of good players, but personally, yeah. I just I, I would I would love that, but I'm not quite sure that it's there for San Antonio. Oh, oh, 100. percent I don't think the Spurs would bite on that, but they've already got two guys that are kind of on the tail end of their prime, if that in DeRozan and Aldridge. So why not make it three? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> exactly, make it three. Why I mean, not? I. I and honestly, it's hard because I, I like Kemba as a dude. He's a great dude. And I, I do think he's going to, in spurts, he's going to help with scoring. But like you said, it might not be there anymore. And I, I like, I hope I'm wrong and I hope it is. So mm-hmm. uh, Kemba can get back to what he is. But regardless, um, the only other maybe option, I don't know what you think of it is, what would you think of like, a, you know, um, Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, or JJ Redick, some kind of like, like a trio like that coming in to make money match and, you know, setting out Kemba, young guys, some picks. Like, what do you think of that? Cause I, I've been seeing Lonzo in the trade market a lot recently. I wouldn't hate the idea of Lonzo, but I don't know if he fits the, the sort of mold of the Celtics right now. I'm not saying that Lonzo ball isn't a good guy, but just the kind of bravado nature of his family. I don't know if that's something that Danny Ainge would be interested in sort of bring into the fold. I know that the, the attention has turned to the mellow and so Lonzo's kind of fallen to the wayside in terms of the, the limelight and the spotlight for the ball family, but it's still, his last name is still ball. His dad is still the var <laughs> and there's no getting away a way of getting around that. So uh, Lonzo Ball and uh, JJ Redick for Kemba does not work out. It falls about four and a half million short. So they're going to have to find some other way to rework the money in that scenario. I think yeah. it's probably a, a decent option considering uh, uh, Lonzo Ball is a very well-rounded player in the league. Yeah. My concern with anything Kemba related is I genuinely think there's not a single team in the league that would trade from. Especially with that contract. Unless you're OKC and yeah. you're just trying to give up young guys. That is, uh, that <laughs> is trying true. to get picks. Yeah. You would like, have to give them so many first rounds for to take on another essentially Al Horford contract. Which they might, you know, they might. Who knows? But uh, I honestly. I, I do think if if Lonzo was out there, Lonzo's a real like man. He's a really good defender. He is he's six eight, six seven, whatever. How however tall he is, he's a he's a tall dude. He can defend. Brad Stevens would love that. And the one thing I would love about that is I, I know for a fact he's not taking shots late in game, and he's just trying to distribute, which gets the Jays more shots. When sometimes Kemba just gets a little uh, shot or dri- uh, dribble heavy at the end of games there. Mm-hmm. So to kind of wrap up the trade exception, uh, I just want to. I, I want to propose this. What would be, what is squid? What is your best case scenario for how Danny age utilizes the trade exception? Uh, I think best case scenario is Danny Ainge goes out and gets one of those two, two dudes you mentioned, whether it's Harrison Barnes or Aaron Gordon uh, gives up. I, I'm assuming it would probably take a first round pick or two and maybe a young guy or two, like, uh, you know, Naismith Langford, whatever prospect intri- intrigues that team more. 
a couple first round picks or whatever, or maybe Daniel Tice in the situation. Also, I'm okay with moving on from Tice because I know that means more Tristan Thompson and more of uh, my guy Time Lord because Time Lord is a guy that just needs minutes and he's going to thrive when he gets those minutes. So I'd be okay with moving on from Tice if it has to happen and uh, trading for a guy like Harrison Barnes. See, I 100% agree, but for me, the best case scenario is to get Barnes and John Collins. Because John Collins is technically still on his rookie contract yep. and only making $4 million because he did not sign an extension with the Hawks. And even if he did, it wouldn't kick in until next season. And so, bird rights. I meant, to, I meant to interject earlier about this. John, You think they're going to trade away John Collins? John Collins is being You're thrown saying? around as a trade. I'm not saying the Hawks no, would do it. He's going he's gonna to sign a uh, – he's going to sign a um, – waiver sheet somewhere else this offseason yeah. i know he's restricted but he's gonna sign a waiver sheet somewhere else yeah. and trey young hates playing with him so there was a I, video that came out with those two mm-hmm. so go ahead nick what are your what are your thoughts on john collins uh i i i think there's less of a chance that they get john collins than they do uh, aaron gordon or vucevic to be honest i oh, i agreed i understand <laughs> i understand uh there have been issues between trey and collins but I mean, I think the difference is the fact that John Collins has a great future in the league and not that Vucevic doesn't, but especially Gordon's definitely on the uh, probably sitting in his prime, if not even a little after, but uh, I, I don't see there being a trade that you could manufacture between money and picks that would just do it for John Collins as awesome as that would be. I just don't see it happen. Well, that's why I called it the best case scenario. There's like a 99.9% chance it doesn't happen, but there's like, I'll give it like a 0.00001% chance that Ainge somehow, some way finagles it. Yeah, I guess I just don't think there's even that. It's a fat goose egg for me, dog. All right. Well, so we kind of talked about it a little bit, um, so we won't spend too much time on it the emergence of Jalen Brown as a potential all-star this season has been nothing short of awesome. He's averaging 26 points a game, six rebounds, four assists, a steal and a block on 52% shooting from the field, 42% from three. He's 12th in the NBA in points per game. And he's 11th in PER, which is player efficiency rating, which basically shows how valuable you are to your team. And he is basically top 10 in both those categories. And for context, he's also fourth among Eastern Conference guards in fan voting so far. So not only is he producing on the court, but the fans are noticing. So I think it's the answer is pretty obvious, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Uh, Is Jalen Brown's an all-star, right? Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, the question should be at this point is not whether is whether or not Jalen Brown is an all-star, but what and what all NBA team is, J, is uh, Jalen Brown going to end up on? I call him Jason Brown. Now Jaylen. we're talking. Yeah. What all NBA team is going to, is going to be one, two or three because he is there. And man, I want what is his usage rate? Because he is, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he have a stats department, but uh, his usage rate isn't even that high. And, and the numbers he's putting up has been incredible. He's so uh, efficient. He's not even putting up 20 shots a game. He is so efficient, man. Yeah. His, yeah. his, his progression has been on a Kawhi Leonard level as far as his first year in his career till now, like every year. It's like, if you look at Kawhi's like career and like how, how much better he's gotten each year, his numbers are extremely similar uh, each year that goes on as Kawhi's were his first five years. Yeah. 
And and when Tatum missed those five games due to COVID, Jalen averaged nearly 30 points a game, five boards, four assists, and a steal. Yes, they went two and three in that stretch, but the way he picked up the slack and took his game to another level to try and make up for the fact that there was no Tatum, I mean, my God. This guy is an all-star, and 100%, I think the question is now, does he make an all-NBA team? I'm not if he saying, doesn't, it's a crime. I'm not saying he's a first or even second teamer, but the way he's playing right now, I think definitely merits all NBA third third team honors. Oh, 100%. And I honestly, it Jalen is just whenever he puts the ball on the floor, I'm like his dribble, his dribbling and his dribble moves have come such a long way. You know, he's he can create an offense now. Like every time he puts a jump shot up, I used to like kind of cringe when he shot it, but he's just like, I think it's going in every single time now. And it's just, it's getting ridiculous. Obviously you touched upon when J- Jason was out, um, how he kind of picked up the load there. Like Jason Tatum's one of the best on off on off uh, plus minus guys in the league. And we see Jalen Brown kind of doing similar things to what Tatum does when he's a lead. So it's incredible, man. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, I think we're definitely in agreement. Not only is he an all-star, but he should be in the all NBA discussion as well. Uh, I want to circle back to Brad Stevens. I know we were talking about rotations and lineups and how we're kind of frustrated by what we're seeing in terms of that so far. Um, The problem is that the Celtics have only had their usual starting lineup of Kemba, Jalen, Tatum, Smart, and Tice for two games this season, two out of 22 and both of them they lost um thompson has been the first choice to enter the starting five whenever someone of those five has been out and grant williams has been the second choice whenever two have been out and so far this season 11 different players have started for the celtics through 22 games and for context last year 14 different players started for the celtics in 72 games So you're already getting close to that same number from last year, and you're only a third of the way, if that. So I guess the question, my question for you is, Squid, given the the injury and the health issues that the Celtics have had, have you, do you approve of the lineups that Stevens has been using even when he's shorthanded? Um, I mean, I'm like, I'm halfway there. Uh, I personally just like, I know Brad Stevens is a coach that like he wants his team clicking by the end of the year, not at the start of the year. And usually the first like half of the season is just him like trying different things, trying different lineups to get the advanced metrics and see what works best. And I know he's messing around with that right now. And that's why we're getting so much frustration at the same time. Like if he's going to do that, I want to see what that looks like with guys like Aaron Neesmith and uh, Peyton Pritchard and even Carson Edwards here and there, obviously Grant Williams, Time Lord, like get them a little bit more minutes. And, you know, those guys that we touched upon uh, getting a little less minutes. So, I mean, I'm halfway there with Brad, uh, man, what I would pay to be a fly, a fly on the wall to see a conversation between uh, Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens. Cause I feel like Danny Ainge gets pretty pissed off about uh, what the lineups he sees are on the court are, but then again, he definitely trusts Brad Stevens at a high level. So I would love to see what the, uh, what their conversations are like. That Yeah, those 100% would be a conversation. I, I would want to be in the coach's room, not just for the, the conversations between Stevens and Ainge, but just between the coaches themselves. So I wonder if any of them uh, have any thoughts or different, differing opinions on what lineups should be utilized and which shouldn't. Uh, I, I understand that early on in the season, you want to see which, which guys work, mesh well together and which guys don't. But at some point in the season, 
you do need to start kind of locking in on, okay, when I bring this person in, I want to, I want him to be on the floor with these players and not, and I don't want him to be on the same on the, on the floor at the same time as this player. And I know there's still plenty of time. You're only 22 games into a 72 game schedule, but sooner than later, Brad Stevens is going to need to figure out what the lineups work and what don't. And I'm going to be very interested to see what he kind of locks in on zones in on for his go-to rotations outside of the starting five. Oh, absolutely. And I honestly, I mean, what we've seen so far, like three lineups, in my opinion, that have stood out. One is uh, obviously Jason Tatum and Robert Williams, the third being on the floor at the same time. Um, that lineup has been incredible when it comes to plus minus. They have been like elite together. So, and same with Grant Williams in that lineup as well. So the Williams brother, they're obviously not brothers. I like to call them the brothers. <laughs> uh, the Williams brothers and Jason Tatum on the floor running the bench unit has been very productive. So that's one we will definitely see going forward. Um, and then one that has been not so productive is when the Celtics start the two big lineup that gives everyone nightmares when it's Thompson and Tyson the floor together. Unless you're playing the box and you have to guard Giannis who can't shoot and. Uh, also guard Brooke Lopez. I get that. Or like, I guess Philadelphia when they have Simmons who can't shoot, but besides that, I do not want to see that lineup on the floor ever again. Um, but then vice versa, when Tyson time Lord have been on the floor together, it's kind of worked. So it's kind of weird. Those big men lineups, but besides that, we've kind of seen some like flows in and out here and I'm interested to see what Brad's going to do going forward. Yeah. The way Tice has been shooting the ball this year, I think he's shooting 42% from three on the season. Uh, he's, he's showing that he can be a stretch four on the offensive end. I'm not saying he can guard a, a, a sort of a, a Kevin Durant or any, or a Jason Tatum kind of person that plays a, a similar type of stretch for role, but man, I mean, to give two big bodies and that forces the, t- you kind of have that conflict of interest. It's like when you start two bigs and you're playing in a league where most teams only start one big and they kind of have multiple wing players, multiple guards, and you're not really seeing that traditional power forward center uh, combination. And you're seeing more or less two small forwards or three guards and a small forward. You, you get, you get the conflict of do, do the big men win out because they out, they have, they just outsize them. They bully them down low on the offensive end or does the team with the smaller players expose the bigs on the offensive end with how quick and shifty they are and, and dribble left dribble circles around them and expose them that way. Somebody one way has to win out because one team, one, one side of it is going to give up before the other does. And usually it's the bigs. So I I agree with that. You definitely don't want to roll Tice and uh, Thompson out at the same time or any two of Thompson, Tice and Williams as, as less as possible. And, and that, and that honestly touches upon why the Celtics do need that uh, TPE player to be a, like, as a, hopefully a four that can stretch the floor, floor a little bit. Like we had talked about with Barnes or, you know, Gordon. And I know not a very popular name at this point with how the Wizards have been playing, but Bertans, if the Wizards wanted to just blow their team up. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, given the start, it's been kind of like the Celtics have been stuck in neutral 12 and 10 kind of sluggish given, given all that we've seen so far with, with injuries and COVID protocols. Is this 
still a championship caliber team the way that it is, it is constructed. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, I think it's like it's a twofold question. Um, currently constructed. No, with, I guess just with what they have for rotations, but like I said, I, I just think they're missing one piece and that's a piece that's going to like slow them down at the end of the game to be that veteran presence. That's going to make those good passes. Like I just, I feel like they're one piece away and it's not necessarily a star there away. It's just a, it's a really consistent role player who has a calm presence about them. Uh, that's the piece that's going to make them a championship pretender versus what they are now, which is a really good team. Who's just right on the, like right on the heels of being that championship pretender. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the answer is also no, unless Kemba is able to return to all-star form where you get him averaging close to 20 points a game, 40% from the field, close to 40% from three, which is what he did last year. He just fell apart because his, his knees gave out on him. Or like you said, the team has to find that missing piece with the trade exception. They have to hit. They have to get a difference maker, some sort of impact player. Doesn't have to be a guy that starts necessarily, as you said, but it's got to be somebody that either takes on the, the lead role for the second unit a six man of speed of, of sorts, or, or it's a guy that they, they add to the starting lineup like a Harrison Barnes and they just move smart to the bench, whoever it ends up being, it has to be a difference maker because when you have the Brooklyn Nets who went out and made a difference making move in trading for James Harden to give them Harden Durant and Kyrie Irving. uh, When you're already looking at an Eastern conference that has, the likes of the Bucks with Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. You got the Sixers with Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias Harris. And now you got the Nets with those three. Good God, you need somebody, whether it's Kemba or whoever they use utilize the trade exception for it, to be that third piece to make it a trio. Absolutely. And and honestly, it's hard because I I, I like I don't even think they're there, even if Kemba plays to his potential, sadly, simply because um, what we saw in the bubble, like they just, you know, they're, they're just missing that one piece, even in the bubble against in the Miami series, when Hayward came back, he wasn't fully there. Uh, Hayward was still a little banged up at the time. And we just, we didn't have enough. I know we led Miami throughout most of that series, but like, we just don't have enough. We just need that one more consistent role player who you can count on every night because we ne- we can't count on Grant Williams or any of these young guys in the playoffs yet. We just can't do it. We have to have that consistent role player. Yeah. So for you, it's basically you need Kemba to get back into shape and get that difference maker. Well, you know, I think I think Kemba can be what he is now and then get that. I mean, I, get, I guess it depends who the difference maker is. Obviously, if it's a bench guy who's not really a starter, I think Kemba needs to be that difference maker still. But if it's like, like I said, like a guy like Gordon Barnes or Vucevic or whatever, someone on that level, then I think Kemba could kind of be what he is and just try to play more of a role player kind of role. So Hmm. it's, I mean, ultimately it's, it's up to Tatum and Brown to what they're going to be. Yeah. Uh, So I guess the question is, has the, the James Harden trade sort of altered the Celtics ceiling this year? Oh, I mean, I guess it depends what, how you feel about defense. And to me, it's, to me, it's a no, um, I just, you know, I love, I love the offense they have there. I mean, I'm not, I don't like Kyrie Irving as a, as a person. I mean, as a basketball player, the talent's undeniable when it's there, 
Kyrie, KD, and Harden are just ridiculous on offense. They had a stretch last week against uh, who was it? I think the Wizards, not the Wizards. I forgot who they were playing. They, man, they hit like five shots in a row. They were just taking turns, and it was ridiculous. Obviously, unguardable. At the same time, they're not winning a championship nor getting to the finals unless they get at least one defensive stopper because they do not have one on that roster. KD is obviously like a, a good defender, but he is not a great defender. Like he, I know KD in the past has been an incredible defender, but after this Achilles tear, he has not been the same on defense. He's been better, if not better on offense. He has not been the same on defense, and they really, really, really need that defensive stopper. And it was Jared Allen, and obviously he's gone now. So. Hmm. So, but if it, if if it does come to just shootouts like it has, I, th- I think that Wizards game that you were you sort of alluding to, I think the final score was like 150 to like 140 something, and it was in regulation, not even overtime. And they had and the, the Wizards had 120 points with like four minutes left, and they hadn't ended with 150. Like that, how was that possible? I, I don't. I wish I could tell you. It was I the don't. funnest game I've ever watched. I think in my life. But it was, man, it is. No, not if not if you were a fan of defense. That, <laughs> that, that made your eyes bleed uh, if you were a fan of defense in any which way or form. I mean, for me, if, if you just look at the league, you know it's a star-driven league. Whoever has the most talent with the, the best makeup around those stars usually comes out on top at season's end. For them to acquire three potential top five players if not yep. top 10 um top 10 players if not top five um i mean you just have to feel that that's going to win out more ways than not i think that i do agree the fact that they do not play any defense leaves them vulnerable to a degree in the sense that if they go, go cold like two out of the three of those studs have off nights and you're left with Kyrie or KD trying to carry the load on that team and you're stuck with like Kyrie going for like 25 and you're basic and the other guys are in the teens and and you're relying on guys like Joe Harris to to produce big numbers to bail you out yeah they can definitely be uh, vulnerable the problem is they just have so much offensive talent that it's like you're not going to see them uh dropping the ball on offense obviously come playoff time we'll see if, if that still translates with harden <laughs> exactly but because these guys uh, especially harden uh they haven't really done it on their own Kyrie needed lebron to win a championship the uh, kevin durant had to go to golden state to get his championships James Harden hasn't been able to do it on his own in Houston. And now he's playing with Duran Kyrie. So these guys are guys that have won championships for the most part before, but they needed other top tier talent around them. And, and they have it now they do. They do have that top tier talent. And I think the the hard part for me is, you know, and I think it goes to a guy like MB too. Uh, and I know it's a little off topic, but like the, the James Harden and Joel Embiid are two guys who draw so many fouls. And when the playoffs come around, you know, that whistle starts going away a little bit and it becomes a big issue for those guys in the playoffs. It gets in their head. Um, And I just, I'm not quite sure where, like, if Harden's not going to be James Harden in the playoffs, like, kind of like we typically see that I'm not quite sure if they're going to actually get it done. They might, I mean, who knows? I, if they win the title, I'm not going to bat an eye, but like, I just think they're a little bit vulnerable and I would not be shocked to see someone beat them. And uh, I, I, I do think they need to add a defensive stopper here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know who that defensive stopper is for them, but for sure, I mean, any help that they can uh, add sort of as a 
bench or rotation piece to kind of do that, fill that role would be huge and could even put them over the top if they're not already over the top with those three studs. If they could have found a way to keep Jarrett Allen instead of letting him go, that would have been huge for them because man, like when they get to a series, if they get to the finals and have to play the Lakers, like LeBron and Anthony Davis are literally going to score every possession. Yeah. And I, and maybe the Nets will too, but I would trust the Lakers to get a stop more than I would the Nets. That's what it comes like. You have to make stops to win the NBA title. You have to. For sure. But at the same time, when you have the amount of star power and the amount yeah. of firepower on offense that the Nets do, who knows what this team's potential is in the playoffs? I mean, it could be it could be championship for sure, like guaranteed, or it could be that they they choke in like the second or third round because they they just the shooting just disappears. When you live by that sword, you you can very well die by that. And so oh, you yeah. definitely you definitely need some amount of defense to bail you out when the offense isn't there. But the problem is, I just don't know if there are going to be enough games in a seven-game series where the offense isn't up to speed, isn't isn't adequate. I, I just don't. I, can like can you see them losing a playoff series where four games they suck at offense? I, I, I personally don't. Um, I mean, uh, here, here's my thing. I, I'm excited. I'm alive for this because it's either going to be, they're going to either make an incredible run to the NBA finals and the offense is going to be so fun to watch despite being a Celtics fan, or it's going to be the ultimate demise. And it's going to be just hilarious to watch. Cause personally, I, you know, I can't stand Kyrie Irving. I'm a Celtics fan and I never wanted Kyrie in the first place. Um, and then obviously I, man, Kevin Durant ruined the league for me. So, uh, <laughs> And me and many others, I won't be selfish there. Uh, <laughs> and I, I would love to see the ultimate demise, and it would probably be the greatest demise in my life, and I hopefully have a long life ahead of me. Um, at the same time, it will be an incredible journey if they do make, the, make it there in offense because they are so fun to watch, and the talent is undeniable. Mm-hmm. It, it's just I, I think it just ultimately boils down to can they keep the offensive output consist up consistently over the course of the season throughout a playoff run with all those mouths to feed and only one ball so far on the offensive end, that answer has been yes, but it's come at the cost of defense. And so they're, they are more than happy to just play these shootouts and dare teams to outscore them. And that's why you're kind of seeing the record that they have because some nights they, they just, the defense is just not there whatsoever, and they're just not able to hit enough shots. And put for example, they lost. To, they lost to Detroit tonight, and they let up. They let up 122 points to Detroit uh, in their six and eighteen. Yeah, so they're good for stinkers like that. Yeah, and you can't afford to do that multiple times in a playoff series, especially early on. You don't want to be digging yourselves a hole. Um, so I think it really just comes up to can the offensive output that they have been on since the Harden trade continue consistently uh, throughout a playoff run? And can they play just enough defense to make up for any sort of offensive woes that may come along? Absolutely. And I'm here for it. Yep. And just, just to wrap up that point, uh, if you're looking at the head to head numbers so far between the teams we've mentioned, Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philly, uh, you don't want to read into it too much because it's early in the year. And obviously Brooklyn traded for Harden uh, halfway through this first half of the season. 
but the Celtics are currently one and three against those other three teams. They lost to the Sixers twice when Brown was out due to COVID protocols and the Celtics were shorthanded. Uh, they beat the Bucks on opening night. Tatum hit that insane buzzer beater off the glass. Uh, but they also lost and had their, their roof. They're just absolutely Forced annihilated by the Nets that second game between Kyrie and KD. Um, Brooklyn hasn't lost a single game to either of those three teams. They're 3-0. and They've beat all three once. And they the game they beat Philly, they didn't have Kyrie, James Harden, or Kevin Durant. They beat... The Philadelphia 76ers, who had a full roster, Embiid played, Simmons played, Tobias Harris played, Danny Green played, all of them played. And the Brooklyn Nets beat them without Harden, Durant, or Kyrie. So, man, here nor there, it's been a weird year. And like, we're going to keep seeing results like that, just with the type of year we've been seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, you're right. We have lost. We have been one of three of those teams. Obviously, it hurt that Tatum was out in those games. At the same time, you know, we've seen some good efforts, like beating the Clippers uh, without Tate, without uh, Brown and playing a great game against the Lakers that we should have won. Uh, I mean, we've played some good games, too. So it's it's been an up and down road. It's been a roller coaster for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so as we start to kind of wrap up here, I do want to sort of look ahead to the upcoming schedule. Uh, we've talked about how they're playing the jazz tonight. The jazz are 19 and five. That's the best record in the NBA. The jazz jazz are clicking right now. Uh, they've won nine of their last 10. Uh, so I'm going to be very interested to see how the Celtics play against them, especially now that Jalen Brown is active uh, for this one. So they will, they will have everyone, but Marcus smart available for this matchup at the tail end of their road trip. Uh, Squid, what do you need to see from the Celtics tonight in Salt Lake City going up against the Utah Jazz? Yeah, uh, I, I would love to see the Celtics. They, they need to go into Utah. Obviously, it's the last night of the road trip. It's been a disappointing uh, couple of games here. But I need to see the Celtics go in there and act the part that, that, that they are, this contender team that they are. You know, um, the Celtics have had great success against Utah the last few years. And I think that's in part because Utah does not really have any good wing defenders, nor they haven't in a while. And Tatum and Brown should be able to do whatever they want to them on offense. And uh, I really hope to see that continue tonight. And uh, there's no Mike Conley for Utah. So I hope to see Kemba getting a little of a groove since they won't have much defense in that position as well. 100% agree. I need to see a bounce back game from Kemba. He's long overdue. He needs to get going and, and get back into form. Uh, I also want to see the Celtics contain Rudy Gobert on the boards. Gobert, he averages over three offensive rebounds a game. He averages over 13 total rebounds a game, which is good for third in the NBA. Uh, so at seven foot two, his absurd wingspan, he's a tall freaking dude. And I know that we've got a guy called Time Lord that can can give him a run for his money, but I'm going to be very interested to see how the Celtics try and, and contain Rudy Gobert on the glass. And lastly, uh, I just want to see Nesmith play. Yep. Absolutely. Hasn't, hasn't played a single minute on this West coast trip, not a single even second. After That's, a good showing a couple of weeks, he had a couple of threes a couple of weeks ago in a game. They actually needed him to make some shots. So yeah, I'd like to see him play. And I'd like to see the Celtics put, uh, put Rudy in the pick and roll a ton because as great of an interior defender as Rudy is, if you get him on the switch out in the perimeter, you might, you're going to be able to get some uh, easy blow by buckets there. So mm-hmm. I would really like them to see them put him in the pick and roll and see what they can do. Tire him out there. Agreed. Uh, but 
with Naismith, his last two games that he's checked into, he's played five minutes and eight minutes, 0 for 3 from the field. He's just not getting any opportunities. Hopefully tonight that story changes. Uh, but after tonight, the Celtics, 10 of their next 11 are after this Jazz game are against teams at or below 500. The exception, they play the 12 and 11 Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets are a great team. Obviously, they went to the Western Conference Finals last year. But you're going when 10 of your next 11 games and all but two of your games the rest of the month are against teams below 500. And the only team that's really actual, like really, really above 500 is the a rematch with the Clippers at home. You need to get going as a team. Ten, like 10 of your next 11 games against teams below at or below 500. You need to take advantage of this stretch. Uh, I'm going to be looking for the Celtics to take advantage of playing other struggling teams and try and get things going and get on a bit of a winning streak here. Cause they haven't won more than two games in a row in a couple of, in a couple of, at least a couple of weeks now. I, I agree. I, you know, I think the Celtics are going to win a fun one tonight in Salt Lake city and they're going to win. I think they're going to win three in a row until uh, here. I believe they have Detroit and someone else. Who else do they have in these next two games? They have someone else really bad too. Uh, I know they're playing like, I know it, it includes like the Hawks twice. And yep. then a third time, like not too long after that. Uh, they are playing the Wizards. They are playing the Raptors. Oh yeah, that's right. The Raptors. You, you, we got to we got to win a bunch of games here. Uh, yeah. That said, I'm if the if the 76ers are going to stay at the one seed throughout the year, I am perfectly okay with the Celtics being the four seed because that means they get to potentially play Indiana round one, which I'm not too worried about, and then they would get to see our our, our little sister in Philadelphia. So <laughs> we do own them. <laughs> I, I don't care if Embiid's playing great right now. I I, pro, I I I will. There's no chance this. I, I just don't understand how Philadelphia would beat us in a seven game series. I just don't understand how they would. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm confident in a matchup with them, even if they have Ben Simmons. I just am. I mean, you should be because in the two playoff series we've played against them the last what two three years, we've won eight of the nine games in those two series. We only lost one game. Like we right. have just handled them. The games have been competitive. Don't get me wrong, but we when push comes to shove. We have come out on top all but one time. So, on t- so go right, ahead. And, and it's a big difference because, like, like I, we talk about all the time, MB is great at getting to line, and when it comes down to it, the refs are not as as uh, easy on the whistle in the playoffs. So, you know, Tate, Jason Tatum doesn't get to the line much, but he is an exceptional bucket maker, and that's what it comes down to in the playoffs. You need guys who are going to get buckets, not get to the always get to the free throw line, and that is just massive. And I, I, I still think we own Philadelphia, and we're gonna. In my opinion, unless they get some ridiculous player for most of Embiid's prime. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, so I think we're going to wrap up here. I uh, want to plug our other podcast under the Mouth and Off Sports umbrella. You've got the Cool Zone pod with Nick and his colleague, Jonathan. And you've got the Foxborough Files, which is a Patriots podcast. Uh, and then Mouth and Off Radio, if uh, they ever get to the consistently getting back into the swing of things the rumors um, are swirling that they could be back soon but who knows yeah that would be that would be a good welcome site but uh squid before we sign off here any final thoughts on the celtics so far and go or going forward uh you know i just 
I, I just get my biggest thing, and I'm going to preach this to the to the season ends. Just get the young guys minutes, and if they're not it, just get them out of here and move on. You can't just sit in this what it zone forever. That's what I want to see the Celtics do, and I hope it works out for them. One hundred percent agree. So with that, it's time to sign off here for Anthony Gabriella, aka Squid, and uh, some subtle uh, inclusion of Nick. I'm Ryan Brown, and we'll see you next week. Do for you.